Welcome to the Thinking Practitioner Podcast, a podcast where we dig into the fascinating issues, conditions, and quandaries in the massage and manual therapy world today. I'm Whitney Lowe. And I'm Till Luca. Welcome, Welcome to, to the, the Thinking, Thinking Practitioner. This episode is sponsored by ABMP, Associated Bodywork and Massage Professionals. I love ABMP. Their membership combines, as they say, the insurance you need, the free CE you want, including uh, a lot of webinars with myself and with Whitney, and the personal service you deserve. Featuring the dynamic new 5-Minute Muscles Review app with muscle-specific palpation and technique videos and the award-winning Massage and Body Work magazine, where Whitney and I are both frequent contributors. Thanks, ABMP, for making this podcast possible. Yeah, it's easy to see why members love ABMP. I've been a member for years, and it's clear the organization is driven to offer loads of key benefits to their members, and their primary focus is on delivering exceptional opportunities and services. So for our listeners who join ABMP as new members, you can save $24 by going to abmp.com forward slash thinking. So with ABMP, you can expect more. All right, so good morning, Till. How are you this morning out there in the uh, high country of Colorado? Pretty great. Whitney, how about yourself? Uh, doing well. Uh, just back in town after the uh, AMTA National Convention this past weekend, which was its always an adventure to see all kinds of great people out there, meet new folks, see some old folks, and get re-inspired about why we do the things that we do. So that was um, it was good to be out there, I think. AMTA is the American Massage Therapy Association. That was You went to Indiana this year? It was, yes, Indianapolis. Indianapolis. Yeah. yeah, those are a lot of fun. Yeah, so my first time in India, and uh, liked the city. It was it was a nice place. <laughs> That's cool. Yeah, and I'm packing up, getting ready to go to Europe for three weeks, four trainings yeah, in three so, weeks. So tell me again, where you're headed in Europe? Where are you off to? Uh, start in Oslo, then Warsaw, London, mm-hmm. and finish up in Ireland. And uh-huh. Back home. And- Wow, and now you've got uh, courses in each one of those cities? Yeah, that's right. Yeah, that's great. So I'm always curious when I see people doing a lot of these types of uh, international events. Tell me how that works with language and translation. You're, do- you're doing your whole class in English, and is everybody English skills, have their English skills good enough, or do you have yeah, interpreters? Yeah, it depends on the place. In Norway, they're so good. I tried to get them to have translation, but they go, no, we're good. And they are. Uh-huh. They're really uh-huh. good. Poland, yeah, have a clear Polish translator. Yeah. Uh, London, I could use a translator, but uh, <laughs> we were we work it yeah. out. We're all right. We do yeah. good. And we'll have to see about Ireland. Yeah. This will be my first time in Ireland. Yeah. So now when you have a translator, how does that impact your uh, – you know, I'm one of those kind of like sticklers for timing of getting yeah. through things at a certain yeah. time. How does that work with the translator since you're kind of saying everything double? I have to say less. Uh-huh. Yeah. That's it. <laughs> yeah, and I guess to it. <laughs> makes me better. Yeah. Right, and I guess the the translator has to be moderately proficient in oh, yeah. you know anatomical terminology and things like that as well. That's right. Yeah, usually it's a yeah. practitioner or a uh, you know a uh, university student or somebody who's really good in the field already. Yeah, great translators. Yeah, well that's that's really cool. Well, I'll look forward to hearing a report of how the the international uh, adventure went. And we we did mention there was a good possibility we might be doing some of our recordings while you're away. So yep. uh, maybe we'll get a mid trip uh, check in and see how things are going. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Good. Well, today, um, what I was thinking today, we might take a big a big thirty five thousand foot view since we did a deep dive on our last episode on sacroiliac issues and really drilled down into some detail that we might take a a big expansive view today and talk about um, some of the top challenges facing our field and basically I'm calling our field the world of 
soft tissue manual therapy, regardless of where you are in that as a massage therapist, athletic trainer, PT, OT, whatever you see yourself. Structural integration practitioner, body worker, all that stuff. Yeah, all that stuff. So um, what I I, I think there's a lot of uh, similar challenges across our different subspecialties that we run into, but also some really things that are unique um, to those um, particular fields in general. So um, I wanted to just talk about what are some of those big things that we see impacting us right now and where, where we may be uh, going a little bit in the future. So what I thought we'd do maybe is sort of like try to see if we could rattle off maybe what are some of our top three challenges that we see facing this particular um, persona, this sort of playing field uh, coming up for us right now. So what what do you say, like, is there something that comes off the top of your list at that point of, like, biggest challenge that you see facing us? Yeah, well, just to give you a little bit of background, I had a little bit of a hard time with this. First off, the challenge part I was a little leery about, I was reluctant to go into. Yeah. Because, I mean, not that we shouldn't talk about these things, we should, but that my concern is there's so many challenges facing us yeah. now that it would be easy to get overwhelmed. Yeah, And you saw that I put that question, what are the biggest challenges facing our field right now on my Facebook page? And uh, we ran to something, some hundred something different responses. Yeah, I printed those out this morning. I was going to go through them. I'm not even through them yet. It's 30, like two pages of printed out responses. So there's a lot of challenges that people are aware of and facing. And there's a certain mood around sometimes too. Yeah. And I I don't know if you... I don't know what your experience was like out at the conference, but, uh, you know, sometimes when I've gotten together those things, there's just different moods about. There clearly is, yeah. And and I think that's it's interesting that we, we hit this topic right now, for me at least, after that particular, after the last, the last weekend at the conference, because it, one of the, the things that I really do like about going to those events is getting to, you know, sit down and have conversations with people from all over the country and some people from outside the country as well and, and talk about, you know, these things, you know, what are the big challenges that we see facing yeah. us as a group and how how should we tackle them? You know, how should we move forward with them? That's right. And then because I see part of my job as opening possibilities for the people that work with me, I uh, it helped me to reframe it for myself as challenges and opportunities. Yes. Not to yeah. put a silver lining on any of it, not to say any yeah. of it's not hard. It's all really hard. Yeah, but uh, each one of those challenges does open up some possibilities there too. Yeah, yeah, and I think every challenge is an opportunity. It's it's an opportunity for growth and doing doing new and different things. So I yeah. think that's great. So uh, so what are we gonna? What kind of world problems are we gonna solve here today? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> what'd you find? Well, I have no idea what yours are. You have no idea what mine is, and yeah. um, I it's hard to order them too. I had a hard time coming up with three. First of all, yeah. Well, let me just start on what might be the biggest one, and maybe the one. I think about least, honestly, mm-hmm. but it might actually be the biggest one in the background, and that is the aging practitioner population. The fact that uh-huh. all of us are aging, and the average age, at least in the U.S., of practitioners is going up, along with the demographic of the population that we serve as well. Yeah. So tell me a little bit about that in terms of the aging population of the practitioners. you feel like the practitioners are getting uh, older in relation to just general averages? Is that what you're saying? The average age of the practitioner is getting older, so that more and more people in our training are facing uh, different issues as they turn, uh-huh. you know, as yeah. they go from, you know, started in their 20s, 30s, maybe 40s. Yeah. Now they're moving yeah. to 50s, 60s, or even 70s. They're thinking, I want to work in a different way. Maybe I don't want to, yeah. you know, keep the same pace, or maybe it's this work is, maybe my body is giving me some feedback, or yeah. giving me some challenges too that i got to figure out how to work with. I hear that a lot. 
in my right. tra- in my trainings and the people I speak with that a lot of people are going well now how do I pay for my expenses even as I go into my latter years yeah it's those kind of challenges so um, I want to l- ask a question but I want to delve into that a little bit of of w- your sense about that uh, with the aging population because um, I would have to say my perspective would be the reverse on that. Uh, mainly coming out of uh, looking at the demographics of the uh, now again my bias of course is that I spend the majority of my world looking at the massage therapy world yeah. um, I'm looking at the average age of student populations of who's entering the field yes and it's gone way down uh, from a couple decades ago when we were seeing a whole lot more uh, second career people life change people coming into the programs and now it's a lot of people right out of high school or really young uh, looking to get into doing this now. Um, yeah. So, yeah. Um, what what, do you, what is your sense about that? Is that is that maybe the people drawn more towards the advanced training modules, like the kind of things that you're doing, as opposed to entry level training? What do you think about That's that? That's certainly a possibility. From within my little bubble, certainly, yeah, the population is getting older. But yeah, I'm I'm yeah. really aware that the age and the entry level age has been dropping, and the yeah. average age of classes goes down, while the average age of the practitioner body is to my impression is going up and I'm just trying to pipe, uh, Google some quick statistics here yeah getting overall numbers if I find something I'll put them in the show notes I mean no yeah need to take our time now but no I don't I, it's probably both yeah at the, at the say the upper end of the industry there we're getting older at the entry yeah. end or the wide end of the funnel probably getting younger and that also brings up another interesting factor that that you know because I think we do have a, a population bubble of age for yeah. our clientele also and what that means is the types of things or reasons that might bring people in to see a, a manual therapist might begin to be more age-related issues and things like that. And that might change some of the way that we, we look at the things that we're doing. Right. I know that you know by the time – at the time when you and I probably first – certainly you getting started on in this before I did, we're probably seeing a lot more people that were coming into this work as choice for – life enhancement and you know uh, feeling better and doing better things to enhance their health and well-being as opposed to what now might be a greater percentage of people looking at this as like I need help because I'm in pain from being old or whatever those kinds Mm -hmm. of things are so that's true the aging demographic of our pop of our clientele is changing the ways that we work and changing the needs that they have too yeah right all right, so that's yeah. the, uh, anything else you want to say about that, or you want to give my ups? Can I give my upsides? To this? Yeah, let's let's hear the upsides on that. Yeah, yeah, the upsides of aging. Uh, yeah. We get to age, we get to come to terms with aging in a graceful yeah. way. I mean, that's the biggest challenge facing all of us at some point in our right. lives, whether you're young or old. Now, it's like we're going to get old. Yeah, and finding out how to do that in a way that is graceful is actually uh, perhaps healthy and mm-hmm. pleasurable is a life challenge and a worthy challenge. So that's the yeah. that's the one that's facing us there. And people tend to get smarter. There was mm-hmm. a big study across a bunch of different industries about worker productivity, the debate for years being younger, workers are faster, and so should, you know, so we should we get rid of the older workers so that the younger workers can help our economy be more productive. It turns out that there was pretty even productivity across the whole age spectrum. The difference being Younger workers were clearly faster and worked harder. The older workers were a lot smarter and knew how to get what they needed to done without as much uh, brain damage and much, as much work. Yeah. Right. So the upside of that aging is the maturing and the wisdom process of getting better at our work and 
orienting around struggling less or we're you know not working so hard and yeah. uh, there's ways uh, that we do that the other thing I came up with with Whitney was because of the importance that we're seeing of the therapeutic alliance that aging or maturing that we all do as practitioners makes us all better at that I think yeah and I hope I'm uh, better actually at that. Was gonna, I was gonna ask you that because that thought came to me as you were talking about this that for example I think um, at least what I tend to see is in the younger practitioners who've not been in the field as long uh, well there's two factors here one is that you know as we get older if people want to keep doing this in their profession and and recognize and acknowledge it is very physical work yeah it, they often begin looking for ways to decrease the impact on their bodies that's right so looking for ways to work that are not as you know physically impactful that's only but a good i think thing. the other thing is early on practitioners when they're looking for some some sense of both validation for what they're doing and looking for for tools and abilities to help make them better often do pursue a lot more of like i need to learn specific techniques and modalities and learn specific things whereas the more uh, aged and experienced practitioners might recognize that that might become a little bit less important and what becomes more important is recognizing the power of that therapeutic relationship that um, is engendered with so many individuals regardless of a variety of different things that you might be doing with your hands. It becomes who we are even more than yeah. what we do. Yeah. Uh, and I think that's um, that can be a little bit of a sticky and sensitive um, perspective because you, at least, um, I'll say this, at least for me, I don't want to say what you do isn't important uh, and give the inclination that it doesn't matter. But I will say, at least from my personal perspective of, you know, the longer I've gone on doing this and the more things that I've done and learned, the less that I think uh, that's a really crucial piece, like exactly what I'm doing with my hands and exactly what, um, you know, is happening to physiological tissues. And the more important things are really a lot more about what happens in that therapeutic alliance process that you were mentioning. I'm right with you, as yeah. you know. And that will be, I think, topics that we will probably dive into in great detail uh, down the road here as well. Yeah. Yeah. So what do you think? You got you got one? You got a challenge? Yeah. You know, I, I've got uh, the one that's on the top of my list is the one that I have been on a soapbox about for a couple of decades as something that we somehow or other need to solve, an issue that we need to solve or look to find a way to to address this. And, and again, I, this is speaking through my... Um, particular bias as a massage therapist, and that is the the split personality of our profession. Um, in that, we are uh, essentially uh, in our training in terms of the types of occupational situations and places where people end up working as both uh, a personal care service, uh, for that phrase being used to refer to individuals working like in spas, salons, cruise ships, and things like that. And then another side of that being those that are working with uh, more of a healthcare approach. Gotcha. And they're both extremely valid perspectives. But the big problem that we have is that we have one training track at entry level that's trying to train people for both those different uh, occupational directions. Yeah. And I think we do a pretty good job of training people for the personal care service track at the current entry level training um, standards. And so what did you and, call that split 
the split personality the split the split personality yeah, yeah. <laughs> nice. right yes because uh we re- we really are those two different divisions and and i like i said i think we're doing a good job at uh training people for the personal care service track at the entry level with the the current training requirements that we have but a woefully inadequate level of training people to be healthcare professionals um, at that level mm-hmm. and that's the dilemma because uh, people who enter this profession who don't want to pursue a healthcare practice don't want to have a training program that is way longer and way more than they need to be doing but yes. those who need to find some way to pursue that kind of training and have it available and right now there are really aren't any structured programs uh, out there that uh, you know that really fit that bill mm-hmm. uh, and I think you know that's led to all kinds of uh, discussions about well hey well maybe we should have you know advanced degree programs we should have you know college level degree programs for those that want to pursue health care and things like that and mm-hmm. um, I think that is certainly one option but I also think uh, that may not be the best strategy for us either because there's a lot of at least personally I I think there's a lot of problems with what's going on currently in traditional academic degree programs about making them uh, both affordable, current, relevant, and are they the most appropriate training model for what we're trying to train train people to do in more advanced level practice? You're not sure so, that's the right way to go about it. Yeah. Do you have a I sense mean, of what you would like to see? Well, you know what what seem ideally what I would like to see, and I think maybe this will be a stepping stone that maybe there will be a day down the road where we might have. Um, more traditional academic programs, but uh, I'm troubled by a lot of what is happening in traditional higher education at the uh, you know college and, and university levels with the escalating uh, tuition rates and people coming out not having the skills that the job market says they need to have in these kinds of instances. And there's a you really have to look at that return on investment for your education and say is this really going to be worth it for a long term career and there's a lot of massage therapists who don't stay in this career for that long. And so those are some real challenges. But back to what you were asking, it seems as if many of the, the really higher level skills that um, are more important and requisite for working in those kinds of environments, at least some of them, a significant number of them, might become in more specialized credentialed programs of some kind where mm-hmm. you're doing, you know, almost like rotations in these particular specialized areas. Like, you know, somebody might take your whole training program. I was going to say, I know a couple of those programs. Yeah. So that might become a, a, you know, a qualification for some type of uh, more advanced credential. Because, you know, this gets into a lot of other logistical issues. For example, lots of people want to see massage therapy becoming a much more significant part of the uh, opportunities and options available available for people in the health healthcare system. You for mean example, a, a career as a in, health, in uh, massage therapy in, or as a patient? No, necessarily. Like to massage therapy as a treatment option. As a treatment option, yes. Yeah, right. for various types of healthcare problems, and that also gets into the issues of well, it, will it be reimbursed by insurance? Yeah. And the insurance companies will say, well, wait a minute, you know, like you guys don't have adequate education for being able to do this kind of stuff we want to we would consider reimbursing that if your training was different so again they they've been for years looking for a way to credential practitioners in our area to determine that they had those kinds of advanced skills so yes there's, yes. there's a lot of dilemmas that come out out of out of that whole split personality thing i think the challenge facing us well that one there insurance coverage got mentioned a lot on that facebook uh yeah 
post and then both sides of it quite probably more people saying yeah we should be getting insurance coverage for our work but there was a significant number of people saying well actually that's we don't want to go there yeah there's that's some of the debate in the field too yeah yeah and so uh, it is unfortunate that currently in our in our healthcare system, the ability to have insurance available, whether you choose to use it or choose to bill it or choose to pursue that or not, yeah. the, the ability to be able to is often one of the indicators of you being a valid healthcare profession. And mm-hmm. so that's one of the reasons that I think that is still getting pursued very strongly, even by some of the people who say, well, like, I, I don't personally want to go there. I mean, I know, you know I've talked to a lot of chiropractors, physical therapists, and other people whose practices are built around the insurance model who will tell you, man, if I could find a way out of doing this, I would. Oh, yeah. The insurance industries are are cracking down so much in the in the it becomes such an administrative nightmare to, to do that. Yeah. Um, what a two-sided coin. Great that it really it's is. accessible, and yet the practitioners in it and all other fields are saying, boy, I wish I had a practice where I didn't rely yeah. on that. Right. So now, just on the flip side of that, and I'll just make a a, a shout out to some some exceptional work that you know goes in that direction. Uh, I had a, a very good conversation with Nicole Miller, who's doing some wonderful work with the Veterans Administration, mm. um, and trying to get massage therapy into the VA as a covered healthcare option for veterans dealing with PTSD and all kinds of you know um, other musculoskeletal problems that come out of being in warfare. And that's an insurance system that will need to have some kind of uh, processes in place for looking at the use of that. And that's a very different animal than the traditional healthcare insurance process. But again, for that to work, they're going to need some type of um, systems, standards, or processes, or credentialing things to determine, you know, who should really, really be working into that system. And it is, if I'm not mistaken, I think the largest healthcare system in the country, of course. It's, a, I know it's huge, and I know it struggles on a number of fronts, but I also know that if they suspect something will be useful, they pursue it. They have yeah. that ability. It's not all about cost analysis. It's right. about, is this really going to help the people we need to help? Yeah, absolutely. So uh, each one of these things, I think, holds um, tremendous opportunities uh, for us along with the challenges that are there, and I think it's... Um, wonderfully fortunate that we have some really talented individuals working on these kinds of things and uh, we just need a lot more dialogue and a lot more investigation into this and and people to come to it with with an open mind and looking at both the pros and cons of it because there certainly are uh, there are people who will for example look at something like uh, medical reimbursement for massage as a golden goose egg and think that that's going to answer so many problems for us and um, I think it really isn't I think it's a it's a very double-edged sword that has benefits and drawbacks for us. Have you ever had geese? They're, they're a lot of work. They're a lot I have, of work. Uh, they make yes, a mess. I have had geese because uh, my wife does wild bird rehabilitation, so we've ended up with uh, a number of geese at different times, and yes, they are in fact a mess. And that's what I thought. So, uh, yep. Yeah. Well, uh, in fact, any... I have had some uh, relatively unique experiences. I've had a you know trumpet or swan in my house, which is probably not a very common thing as well. <laughs> yeah. Wow! Because yeah, they're a lot bigger than the geese. They're you know, twenty-two pound bird with a five-foot wingspan. So the golden, so, the golden goose isn't all golden, it might appear. Uh, yeah, that's right. Yeah. Well, so, what, uh, anything else you want to say about that? Yeah, I think. I mean, we Please. could uh, 
go on obviously oh, yeah. for a very long time about that. And I think we will probably touch on some of these topics in some other some of our other uh, episodes as we do. But I've, uh, we've got uh, a couple other things that I wanted to see if we could hit on as well. So why don't we take a pause right there and we'll come back in and jump in on some of these other topics here after we ha- hear from our uh, halftime sponsor, who's Books of Discovery. Books of Discovery might be best known for producing Trail Guide to the Body, but we're also a whole lot more. We bring you the clinical learning tools you need to inform your intentional body work. Check out our kinesiology, pathology, and A&P texts. They not only build the foundation upon which great educators like Till and Whitney rely, but will also support you through your entire career. Books of Discovery is proud to support the thinking practitioner and are offering a 15% discount when a listener enters thinking at the booksofdiscovery.com checkout page. Enjoy the show. So, um, what what would be next on your list? What's another um, challenge slash well, opportunity? Not only was it hard to get up. down to three, but it was hard to order them. So, yeah. the, I don't know about the order here. Maybe I'm yeah. like working up in scale. Maybe I'm working down in scale. But the next one on my list is the culture or epidemic of busyness, of over-busyness. Oh, interesting. Yeah. Tell me about that. Well, it's not just unique to our field, but we exist in a cultural context or in a moment in time or something where there's a total, not total, there's a, there's a lack of time to reflect, to mm-hmm. learn or stop or pause. It's like all we have time for is to get our stuff done, to get through, get my, if I'm lucky, if I get my email box emptied, say. And so it becomes survival and enduring more than enhancement and learning and enjoying. Uh-huh. And that's yeah. that's the background, and I see it in the people I work with. I see it in the people that come to our trainings. I see it in my clientele, and it's the you know the downside there is burnout and exhaustion, right. and a kind of of um, parsing things down to the least common denominator, like uh, social media interactions as opposed to real person interactions, or micro learning as opposed to deep learning. But we end up in our busyness not having time. And a quick and easy way to do it is usually the one that wins out. So yeah. I, I see that as a major challenge facing our. So family. tell me, tell me a little bit about this in terms of your day-to-day experience of of how you deal with this, because I'm curious about this whole process because I, I see myself getting sucked into that a lot. So oh yeah, you know we're you and I were both on social media a fair amount, and yeah. uh, you know we look around and say like, there's all kinds of things that we could get drawn into or you know wanting to somebody posts uh, you know a great study hey i want to go look at that or i want to you know delve into this or i see a fascinating discussion go, go on and like i want to you know jump in because that's that is one of the ways that we continue to grow oh, there's so discussion. much there's so yeah. much available so much is interesting and my yeah. the nature of kind of my i don't know personality or style is to get involved in a lot of things and enjoy a lot of different stimulus and a lot yeah. of ideas and it gets uh really rich but also it gets chaotic and maybe yeah, it's relating. It maybe it's relating to my last topic, which was aging, because or maybe my taste for it is changing, mm-hmm. as the decades start to click over here. It's like, yeah. but it's it's my I'd say it's my personal practice, my personal challenge. How do I manage that level of busyness in a way that leaves room for reflecting and pause and rest? Yeah, I don't think it's separate from what we help our clients with, because they come yeah. to us with the effects of all that stuff. Yeah, and if we, you know, that's. Uh... I think that this whole idea of uh, social media uh, interaction processes would be a great topic for us to delve into in, in greater uh, extent at some point, too, because I think uh, I know I see myself getting caught up sometimes in, in something that might become a very you know heated discussion about something. And it almost feels like you know people are close to the edge of sort of 
shouting at each other online and and um, sometimes it's topics that have been talked about over and over again or sometimes it's a really hot button issue for me that I'm really strong and passionate about it like I don't have time to the, get sucked into this. The today. busyness sets us up for that. I mean, you talk about two things, not having time, and then the nature yeah. of the conversations that come out of that, which right. just, uh, I, I'm going to hold off because that's actually like my next one, my next challenge. Yeah. Okay. But uh, no, that busyness, again, the, the downside is we parse things up. We do the easiest. We do the smallest. We don't get to reflect. We get burned yeah. out. We get exhausted. Right. And uh, I, I, remember I was talking to a friend of mine once, or... Uh, either talking to him or this was on a, a thread, an, an internet thread about something and he said, and I noticed because this has happened to me before he said like, have you ever gotten like halfway through writing a, a response to a post of someone on social media just realizing oh, you know what I don't care, <laughs> just stop because you realize there's a certain point at which I'm getting really sucked into something again that I just, um, I gotta determine is this What's the value versus mm -hmm. um, the benefit versus the cost, the cost mm -hmm. of getting really, really drawn into this sometimes? And, and uh, that's, that's a hard one, I think, to, to do for us. All right. And I had a hard time coming up with uh, opportunities here, too. But that, that's one of them. Yeah. It's, like we, yeah. it's an opportunity to get more intentional and more conscious about what we do, where we yeah. put our energy. Yeah. Well, I will say, too, on the opportunity side of that. So here's here's the flip side. That there's an opportunity of mm -hmm. the busyness thing. Yeah. Um, I uh, while there are days that I you know curse the busyness that social media and those types of types of things bring into our lives. It is also a savior for me because I live in a very rural place and I work at home and I don't get out very much. Mm -hmm. So that is my connection to the world. In uh, with uh, for a lot of uh, for a lot of things. You're talking about social media or the yeah, internet social in general. Media and yeah, just, yeah, that general and just the you know getting out and about kind of thing doesn't happen as much. No, I so. think I mean that's the reason it's such a problem is because it's so good and does so many yeah. things for us. And I I don't think social media is the challenge. I think it's the culture of busyness. It's yeah, the, it's mm -hmm. the exhaustion that comes. It's the squeezing more in. It's not stopping. Yeah. And having so much available, I mean, it's just the fact that we all carry an iPhone now or whatever we carry, Android, yeah. whatever it is you carry, the fact that you're on, oh, you're always on. Yeah. That's not even a term people use anymore. It's just assumed. You know? Yeah, yeah. It's that, it is that drowning in a sea of opportunity mm -hmm. uh, kind of thing. So many things available to us that uh, just uh, take, up, take up space. Did, I, did um, we name the opportunities? Yeah, the richness that comes. The yeah. consciousness that that asks for us, yeah, and you know what? It actually fills our practices and fills yeah. our classrooms. That's what we're helping people recover mm -hmm. from and deal with. Yeah. So that as we get better about it, that's where we work from. That's the embodied piece that we actually offer people. Yeah, right. Well, um, another one that uh, oh, did we? Yeah, let's go for it. What's that? What do you got? Efficiently address that. Yeah. So I was going to say another one that. Uh, this is not one that comes onto my radar screen as much, but I heard a lot of, well, have heard quite a lot of discussion about this in various different circles, and it was it came came up on your list uh, in the in the Facebook group as well as a lots of discussion about it here at the uh, convention this past weekend and all these other big events that I've gone to recently, and that's around income issues for massage therapists because it seems like the economy. And again, this is not just massage therapists, but it, I'll speak more to them because it does seem to be more of an issue in that particular realm. But let's let's broaden that to say, you know, soft tissue manual therapists, because I think those issues may affect a, a good number of them. But um, many of these individuals um, 
you know, the, the whole work landscape has changed with the emergence of the franchise model for many of these places. Um, and many of the people who are coming out of school are looking for employment opportunities now back compared to, for example, back in the old days when you and I started doing this, we were always doing independent practice things or, or you know, finding a way to to create work for ourselves. We might find a clinic or somebody that we might end up working with or partner with, but it was for the most part, entrepreneurial type of work. And now that it has moved into some of these other environments, a lot of people are feeling as if they're not making adequate money to, um, you know, compensate for the workloads that they're, that they're experiencing. And then, uh, you know, on the flip side that I talked to, um, some other clinic owners that um, are paying really good wages for practitioners in their clinic, and they can't find people to staff yeah. their position. Yeah, I know and both those true. I think me, I think you know? average cost of a, a massage therapy, that's the one that's tracked most carefully, average cost of a massage therapy session has probably gone down in the last few years in yeah. the U.S., and yet it's also uh, hard for the, the businesses to get enough therapists everywhere I go. Yeah, right. So I don't know what the answer to that one is. I do think, um, you know, as as some of these fields have become more socially acceptable and socially interesting, it has drawn more people from the mainstream into these types of training programs, but it has also drawn more people in who have sort of thought along the traditional models of I go to school, I get out of school, I look for a job. Yeah. And those places that are providing jobs are looking to make a business make money they're looking at this really as a business and so you know what what often happens is people come into some of our training programs uh you know years ago i worked in massage school and we used to talk about the equation in the admissions process oh they did the equation which was hey a massage costs uh let's say you know 60 well that time it was a lot less than i was gonna say this massage costs 75 dollars an hour if I work 40, 40 hours a week, like everybody does, then I'm going to be making boku bucks, you yeah, know, right. and they don't recognize and understand that's not how it works at all. Looks pr- like and pretty so, easy money, and once you get into yeah. it, it's like, wow, okay, right. this is yeah. not only hard to run my own business and keep all that yeah. going, but uh, there's a lot of costs and things like that. That You're right, that now that we have so many businesses and that the, the kind of inevitable result of consolidation or upscaling in the field where the bigger players come in and they make it more efficient and they look for economies of scale, which means they pay the people doing it less, also means the cost comes down to the consumer. It's, there's that same dynamic that has so many pluses and minuses for the society at large, the globalization thing, the splitting of the upper and lower ends of the wage earners, all those kind of things going on right yeah. within our sector. Yeah, and I think this um, this also ties into some of those issues that I was mentioning earlier in the whole split personality mm. uh, issue of our profession because there is a, a big question like, well, if you require more training, for example, for individuals who might work within some type of healthcare model, should or should not those individuals be making more money than individuals who are not uh, having to go through that other more extensive training. Mm-hmm. And there's, you know, that creates a lot of internal strife within the field about people making different levels of income from the type of thing they do or looking uh, at one particular type of, of work as uh, being less or, you know, not as uh, 
relevant or whatever, you know, those kinds of biases tend up to, to be this. So that does, that does create a number of other challenges and problems for us as well. And then here in 2019, who knows, the, the U.S. economy has been doing pretty good, but there's a, a lot of people nervous about what might come if we got another recession. What would that do to our field? Those kind yeah. of things are in the background as well. Yeah, they certainly are. What I think does tend to be interesting, and, and you know, throughout the last uh, 10 or so years, we've been seeing very uh, difficult, challenging um, times for, uh, for training programs. Many of the schools, uh, there's been you know, quite a number of school closures and uh, schools with dropping enrollments and things like that. And it is, it's an interesting uh, inverse uh, relationship that seems to exist. And I, talk, I was talking to a colleague of mine that, run, that teaches in a community college. Uh, she teaches in the math department. And uh, saying, yeah, at the community college, we've had a significant drop in enrollment over the last five years as well. And what seems to be the case is the better the economy does, the less people go back to school yes. for additional training. Yes. So, you know, there's a fair amount of people probably in our field hoping the economy takes a downturn. Well, I got to say, you know, their business, you know, in uh, 2008, the last big uh, nationwide dip here. We yeah. really took a step up in our in my training business. So many people yeah. started coming. Classes got much bigger. Yeah, and then and, and they the would come thing. and say, not only do I want to learn more, not you know, you're talking about entry level, but this is talking about existing practitioners coming yeah. back and saying, I want to learn more. But they're saying, you know, I got it's weird. I got clients coming too. Yeah. and I've also seen this to be true uh, globally. When I go into places where there is a challenged economy, I'm amazed at how many people are still making it work. How many practitioners are that are making it work? When there's a, you know, even when you would think at the surface like the economy's difficult, something about it makes, uh, you know, it's like trimming the branches or something. The tree sprouts more. Yeah, and I think there's also a, that's a testament to the incredible diversity yeah. of our economy and people's ability to find work outside of the traditional large company model, which was so prevalent during the first half of the 20th century. You know, and large companies in the economy do bad, then everybody does bad. But now. The economy is dominated by small business and entrepreneurs and people doing very, you know, different innovative things, and they find ways to be nimble and flexible when the when the times get tough. So there's one of the opportunities. Any others you want to highlight yeah. about that one? Yeah, I think um, it certainly it poses opportunities for for those individuals who can take advantage of, um, you know, some entrepreneurial energy. There's a lot of, you know, the thing that I find interesting. In the midst of a lot of people complaining or saying that you know there's there's problems with the current wages that they have, there's some people out there doing exceptionally well in our field, which means it can be done. And oh, to yeah. me, those are the opportunities that really exist for people. If you want to go out and hustle and and do some hustle, there's a lot of ways that you can uh, find to be very successful, very happy doing what you're doing without necessarily burning out. So there is there's a lot of opportunities for individuals, but um, yeah, yep. there was a saying I saw one time uh, many, many years ago about, yeah, you, know, you can do just about anything that you want to, but you may have to work for it. Mm -hmm. And that's kind of what it boils down to, I think, for, for a lot of individuals. Mm -hmm. That's right. Yeah. I'm with you there. Yeah. So um, we probably, maybe we should probably take this whole topic and um, break it into. Um, Re, you know, come back and big challenges revisited or something like that because we can probably go off on. A, I mean, you've got a long list there, and I've got a list of another things too that'll probably take us quite a long time to to go through there. Um, 
So what what do you think we've ca- we've uh, captured a couple of the key things there? Should we tackle others or, or leave them for another another revisit? We could. There's. I mean, we could go. Uh, yeah, I got at least two more. Like I said, I got a hard time breaking them down. Maybe this is like a two episode topic, huh? Yeah, I think it may be possibly two 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 episode or possibly e- even more later on. So why don't we? Um, We'll say we'll we'll come back and revisit this with some of our other topic ideas. How does that sound? Okay. All right. So let's continue this uh, conversation next time. There's a lot to talk about here. But to wrap this one up, uh, thanks to our sponsors. They're amazing. They make this happen. And uh, you can also stop by our site for uh, show notes, uh, any additional information we might have available for you on uh, earning CE credits from the podcast and other opportunities that we'll have there for you. And that site is www.thethinkingpractitioner.com. Com. Until where can people find you? My site, advanced-trainings.com. And how about yours, Whitney? Uh, you can also find me over at the Academy of Clinical Massage.com. And uh, also you've got a Facebook group, right, where people can track you down. Is that correct? Yeah, Advanced Myofascial Techniques Discussion Group. If you've taken one of our trainings or read any of my books, then you jump in there. It's a private forum where we focus on those topics. Or my personal site, just my name, Till Luca, has a lot of discussion going on it, too. Great, and uh, I've also got a Facebook uh, group with at the Academy of Clinical Massage on Facebook as well, so you can find us over there. So uh, if you've got any questions, please feel free to email those to us at info at thethinkingpractitioner.com. Or look for us on social media and rate us on iTunes or wherever else you listen. And be sure to tell friends. That's how the word gets out. That's great. And we will see you next time. We'll pick this up and uh, dive into some other interesting topics. Thanks, Whitney. All right, sounds good. Take care, Till.